Welcome to the Unforgotten Families Podcast, an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. Today, we are here speaking with Crystal, who is the mother of a beautiful little girl named Blake. We are speaking with them specifically because they have a very powerful story. Blake is a resilient little girl, and they live in Missouri, so they would benefit from the Family CNA program, which is very close to happening there. Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. Can you just start by sharing a little bit about your family and about your daughter, Blake? Okay, so we are a blended family of six. Um, It's myself and my husband, Jacob, and then we have Berlin, which is 11, Nadia is seven, Chase is also seven. They're not twins. They're two months apart. (laughs) And then, of course, Blake, which will be three in two weeks on July 21st. So that's, I mean, that's us in a nutshell. So... There's a beautiful little Facebook blog called Adventures of Blake, I believe, correct? Uh, Miss Blake's Adventure. Miss Blake's Adventures. Yeah. (laughs) Adventures. And um, on there, you explain this moment that, you know, you had to do CPR on Blake. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of paint a picture for us when you found out that Blake was going to be having concerns to to that point and just share a little bit of that as much as you feel called to share? So we did not know that she was had three holes in her heart. Um, when she was in utero, we actually found out at her 24 hour evaluation. Um, the nurse heard a murmur. So she of course called in the pediatrician and he heard it. And then we set up an appointment to go to children's, um, to have a cardiologist check her out. So our plan was, you know, get discharged from the hospital and then within the next couple of days, go up and get an echo done and see what was going on. Um, she had, like I said, three holes, small, medium, and large. Um, they expected the two smaller ones to close up on their own, uh, but were anticipating the larger one to need a procedure to kind of like close it up with a mesh net. They just wanted to monitor it the best that they could. And between our two week visit, our pediatrician back home wanted to see her on the opposite weeks. Um, that way she was constantly being checked out and overseen by a doctor until we had a plan in front of us. Um, at 14 days of life, um, we were actually heading to children's at like, oh, I think it was like two o'clock in the morning because one of the side effects of CHD is like a poor appetite um, and failure to thrive and they can't eat very well. Um, So Blake struggled with that up until, you know, her cardiac arrest. Um, We were actually, like I said, in the car, we had to stop and get gas, you know, nobody ever keeps gas in vehicles. So Um, we had to stop and get gas and then we got back on the highway and we made it maybe 10 minutes down highway 44, which is our main interstate here in Missouri. 
And um, I noticed under like a street light that Blake was like, she was tensed up and something was not right. So I yelled at Jacob to pull over and call 911. And of course he's like, what, why? And I'm like, just, just call 911, you know, um, something's not right. And by time we were fully in the park on the side of 44, um, Blake was not breathing anymore. Um, and we finally got the dispatcher, you know, to help us out with how to do it. Um, I've been CPR certified since I was 15, but in the moment I completely forgot exactly what to do. So, um, uh, even, even with the, uh, the dispatcher, she, you know, had to try to figure out how to do CPR on an infant because it's not something we deal with on a daily basis. And then, so I get out and I lay her in the back seat of the car and I take her onesie off and start compressions. Um, it feels like forever before a first responder shows up, but the first responder that showed up was, um, his name is Deputy Clinton. I'm sorry. I don't remember the first name. I want to say it's Chad, but Deputy Clinton. Um, and he, of course, you know, asked if he could take over CPR and I let him and I go to the front of the car and I just, I crumble. I, I fell to my knees and I'm like, you know, this is it. Um, I, uh, I'm losing my child in the middle of the road. Uh, and there's like, my mom's not here to help me go through it. Jake didn't know. Uh, he couldn't, um, I guess, grasp what was going on. Um, so uh, then we had three ambulances show up from three different districts. Um, instead of going to Children's, because it's an hour away from where we live, we went to our local hospital, which is 20 to 30 minutes, depending on which way you take. They, from the time I started CPR to the time she was revived, um, she had CPR done for 45 minutes before she was re revived. Um, so when we pulled up to the hospital, um, you know, I have these high hopes that the paramedics revived her in the back of the ambulance. And um, I watched the paramedic get out with, you know, my, my two week old just draping over his palm and she's still blue as can be. So I crumble again, um, you know, cause I had that, had that hope, you know, that they revived her in the back of the ambulance and they didn't. So uh, we get in and we're in the ER, you know, and she's got nurses and the night doctor, they're all swarming her trying to figure out what, what's the right dosage? Because again, nobody, it's not your typical patient, a two week old, especially in a little hospital like we have. Um, but once they revived her, uh, they had called children's and had her a bed ready. They flew her um, from Washington to St. Louis and we drove. Um, they had three pilots or three crew members in the helicopter, so there was no room. So my mom, uh, Jacob and myself all got in one vehicle and we went to St. Louis. Uh, they told us not to rush because their 15 minute flight compared to our hour flight, you know, they would not have done anything without us there or with our, without our consent. So once we get to children's, uh, they put us in this little family room in the heart center and I can see her room from this heart, from this family room. And uh, 
I couldn't exactly like see her, but I could see all the commotion going on in there and all the, all the pumps that they were hooking up, hooking her up to. And, um, so that was another hard thing. I just, Um, I just want to acknowledge how, well, how resilient Blake is and then how resilient you are. And what I am finding out as I, as I hear more and more of these stories is how resilient the mothers and the families are. And it's like, we just braze over the fact that, you know, you found out, you know, even when we're talking about when you found out that there was the CHD, it's like Mm -hmm. that moment is a lot for, for a mother. Um, And then all of everything that you went through. And I just want to acknowledge how resilient and amazing you and your family are. Um, And it's, it, it's interesting because as time goes on, people can braze over these things, but it's like, even just the idea of, of, of a mother having a baby. And then that moment you found out, you know, there's three holes in Blake's heart. That was crushing because even I didn't know the extent of um, what they did for that. If it meant, you know, a short lifespan or if it meant she could still live a full life. Um, so even just finding out about the holes was, it was like being hit by a truck. It's just, I can't, I can't even imagine this roller coaster. And then the moment you found out she was resuscitated, how did you feel? Um, so the, uh, the ER doctor kind of, I guess it was a miscommunication. He just kind of was like, Hey, you guys want to come stand by her for a little bit. So I didn't, he didn't, you know, Hey, we resuscitated her. It was just, Hey, do you guys want to come stand by her for a minute? So I thought they lost her and they were giving up. Um, I get really lightheaded and pass out all the time. So I went up and I stood by her for a minute and I realized, you know, she's okay that she was revived. And then I got really lightheaded and almost fainted and had to sit back down. And I was like, you know, I can't even, I was mad at myself because I couldn't even stand by her and, you know, hold her hand or comfort her in any way that a mom should be able to. So it was, I was back and forth between trying not to pass out and trying to comfort her in the time waiting for the helicopter to get there. Goodness. Okay. So now we are at the heart center in the, I'm guessing it's the big children's hospital. And, it is, yeah. And then, and then what? Okay, so I could see her. Um, like I said, I could see her room from the family room. Um, and the family room was my mother-in-law, sister-in-law, Jacob, and my mom and myself. We had nurses coming in, checking on us. Doctors coming in and trying to explain, you know, what was going on. Um, we had one. I remember his little notepad had a picture of a heart on it. And he like just drew where Blake's holes were. Um, He explained that uh, her aortic valve had kinked off. And he's like, it's like a hose, you know, you kink it off and no longer works. Um, So hard telling how long, Um, probably the past couple of days though, her heart has been working extra hard to get the oxygen flow to the lower half of her body. Um, So she was not getting, um, you know, oxygen flow like she should have been. And that's what caused the cardiac arrest. Um, So the plan was for the next morning to go in and repair the aortic valve. So they just cut out the kink and then put back the valve, um, just sewed the valve back together. Um, They also put a PA band. 
I don't know what the PA stands for to this day still, but they put a PA band around um, another valve to help with oxygen flow through the, um, the larger of the three holes. Um, they showed us on an echo kind of what it was doing and what it's actually supposed to do. Um, so once they got her settled, we were of course allowed to go in and see her. Um, I broke down <laughs> again. Um, you know, I didn't think she was going to make it through. Uh, it was hard to have high hopes. It was very, very hard to have high hopes. Um, I had one of the nurses come in and tell me about um, the Facebook group that St. Louis Children's Heart Families has to go ahead and, you know, join that and see if there's anybody with a, simil a, a, familiar, a familiar story um, that, you know, could maybe help me, not, I, don't need, I don't know if cope's the right word, but help me navigate through what I was going through, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, there were several moms at the time that were there um, that came in and stopped by and, uh, you know, told me a little bit about their stories, but didn't want to overwhelm me because of course we were going through this and not knowing the outcome of what was, what, what the outcome was going to be. Um, wow. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, just thinking about the idea of how much she went through in the first 14 years, 14 days of her yeah. life. And how resilient so she much. already is. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, and it makes me think, you know, there's kids that go through a lot more than what she's been through, but you know, every story's uniquely different. And some of it, some of the stories are same or not the same, but parts of them are the same. But they're yeah. all uniquely different. Okay. So I know I know that there's so much that we can dive into, and I'm I'm so interested to to tap into all of it. Um I guess one thing that I would like to understand is, you know, all of this happens, she's in the hospital. Now let's fast forward to what does it look like as a mother that's gone through all this and now they're like, walk us to the point where she's ready to go home. And then what is it like going from this facility and taking your child home after everything that you just went through? Okay, so, um, well, to the point of getting home, they told us, you know, if we ever wanted to get pretty much out of the intensive care unit of the heart floor, um, she had to be intubated or excubated, sorry. Um, in order to be excubated, though, she needed a trach. Um, that way we could control her secretions for her and help her get to that point. Um, and along with the trach came a feeding tube um, that was put into her stomach. Um so, for people that don't understand what a tracheostomy is, this is basically a, a tube that goes into your throat to enable more, more airflow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at four weeks old, she had her trach and feeding tube and um, put in um, about a week later after her first trach change, because we changed the trach weekly. Um, so we could avoid infections. Um, so it was about a week, maybe two weeks. We finally got moved to floor status, which was just down the hall, but it wasn't, we weren't in the in intensive care unit anymore. We were there for about another three weeks in St. Louis Children's. They 
they know how kids are whenever you give out big news and then they're like, oh no, I have other plans. So their word for going home was you get, you get to take a, a trip to the zoo. <laughs> um, so when we first found out we were, you know, taking our zoo trip, um, it was big. It was a big deal because, you know, we have three other kids at home. Um, the two girls actually wound up going to live with my mom and stepdad um, and going to school where they live. Um, so that was like being a full-time mom and then getting stripped down to a part-time mom with them, you know, getting to only see them every other weekend because they had to go to their dad still. So going home was terrifying. I'm going home with, you know, I'm, I've been at the hospital for so long that I'm used to having a doctor or a nurse right outside if I'm uncomfortable with anything going on. Um, so going home was terrifying because uh, I wouldn't have that. I would have, you know, I would, my mom came over every day to help me um, while Jacob had to return back to work, of course. But I mean, like, like I said, it was just terrifying. I happened to do, I was trained on how to take care of her trach and I was trained on how to take care of her, um, her extent, uh, her, her feeding tube and um, trained to put the pull socks on her toes and the whole nine yards, you know, suction out the trach. Um, because like I said, she couldn't swallow. So she was always needing to be suctioned, which those machines are so loud. And we lived in an apartment and it rumbled the whole floor. And I felt so sorry for the people that lived underneath of us. Cause like I said, it just, it was ridiculous. Um, but the kids were so happy, you know, their baby sister was home. They didn't know to what extent had happened in the hospital. I'd didn't think they were ready for that. I did. I do remember my seven-year-old asking me, um, she was five at the time. She, she asked if Blake was going to die. And, um, you know, it was so hard to tell her, you know, that she was going to be okay. I couldn't break, I couldn't tell her, you know, she already did, but you know, God had other plans and um, let her stay here with us. But that, that hurts so hard or so bad because how do you tell another kid or their sister or brother that they, they died? They, like she died in my arms, you know, no parent should ever have to go through that ever. But they were so happy to have their little sister home and her trach and her, their G, her G button. Um, they had questions, but it didn't scare them away at all. You know, they wanted to hold her because she's still their, their new baby sister. And, um, they still, you know, wanted to get their pictures taken with her and um, wanted to read books to her and sing lullabies and, you know, the big sibling things that we, that they, that they do, they, they still wanted to do them. And I was afraid that they were gonna not want to do anything because of being afraid of hurting her to a further extent. Wow. They sound like amazing older siblings. They must love they her are. so much. <laughs> they do. So I thank you so much for sharing all of that and for really painting a picture. Um, and, you know, so, so now you're home and for a family like yours, I'm, I'm guessing you were authorized nursing. Um, mm -hmm. And can you kind of just talk about some of the challenges now, whether, you know, it doesn't need to be in the perfect timeline, but just in general, you know, the, the challenges that you go through with, having nursing and being home and deciding if you're going to get a job or juggling a job and just kind of paint a picture for people that don't fully understand what that looks like. 
Okay. Um, so we have actually been blessed with an amazing nurse. Um, she has been with us since we've been home. So since Blake has been six months old, um, Skylar has been with us and she's still with us. So we're going on three years. Um, but she's actually getting ready to go on maternity leave and we have yet to find a replacement. So me going out and getting a job is impossible because I mean, yes, I have family, but they have lives, they have jobs, they have, you know, other things that they have to get done too. Um, so I can't rely. Well, I can rely on my, on my family, but I feel like I shouldn't have to have them here 24 seven helping me with Blake or the other three kids. Um, so me getting a job, I feel like if I got a job, I would lose that job real quick because, oh, well, I don't have a babysitter today, so I can't, sorry, I can't come in. Um, I did get like an in-home care job for a little bit. And I started off with, I think it was like three days a week. And then it slowly has gone down to a PRN position, um, pretty much as I can go in if they have available shifts, which they always do. Excuse me. But I can't always just, like I said, go in because I don't have the extended help that I should have. Okay, well, um, so how many hours are you authorized and how many hours is your nurse covering? So we are, um, it's an odd number. It's like 117 or 118 or something like that. So we have Monday through Friday, eight hour days and Monday, th- or sorry, Monday through Sunday, we are um, allowed to have a nurse eight hour a day, eight hours a day and eight hours at night, um, Monday through Sunday. But Skylar does Monday through Friday and every other Saturday for us. And, so I and, do all the night shift stuff. Right. So you, even if you were going to have a job, you're also juggling that you are caring at night for Blake. And then you would be juggling a job on top of that. Yeah. So I would be a zombie 24 seven. Have you ever had night nursing? Yes. Um, so she lasted about a week, um, you know, being a scared mom, making sure my kid doesn't aspirate in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep, even though I was sleeping in Chase's room, which whenever he was at his mom's house. Um, so every time, you know, I would hear her, the pulse ox go off or her suction kick on, um, I would wake up. Or if I even heard Blake um, and the nurse not suctioning her because she was sleeping. So I actually wound up letting her go. Um, you know, if I would have been okay, honestly, if, with her sleeping, if she would have woke up to suction her because I've, I've had people tell me, well, you sleep. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a light sleeper. If she sneezes or moves and hits something on the side of the bed, you know, I wake up. And that's the difference is I'm not sleeping through what needs to be done. So, um, like I said, she's only lasted about a week and that was whenever Jacob was overseas and he was of course furious. And I was like, well, there's nothing you can do. You're not here. So you have 117 hours of nursing authorized. It sounds like you've been grateful for the 40 to 50 that you get, though you are still missing 60 to 70 hours that you are authorized. And that means you have to be up at night caring for Blake. 
And this nurse that you've had for three years, that's been amazing is pregnant. And so you're going to lose her. Maybe you'll find someone, maybe you won't. Can you just kind of paint a picture of what life looks like if you have zero nursing? And also, is this a normal thing for families in Missouri that are in situations like yours? So, okay. Life with no nurse is extremely hectic, especially whenever you have more than just your special needs child to care for. Um, because you're still being a mom and still being pulled in every which direction. Um, I've heard, I don't know how many times, you know, you love Blake more than you love us. Um, so life with no nurse is not only am I up in the middle of the night with Blake because she likes to get up still and play for about two to three hours every night. Um, then I have to still get up at seven o'clock in the morning whenever she decides, you know, it's morning time, or if it, the other three wake up earlier, which Chase is my early riser, he's usually up about 637 as well. Um, Got to get up, make breakfast. I have countless alarms set. Um, so I don't forget her medicine. And heaven forbid, I have another sick kid because then I'm tending to both of them or however, like I said, we've got four kids. So if they're all sick at once. That's, I want to pull my hair out. <laughs> Um, my mom comes over when she can to kind of help keep things calm around the house. Um, I've got, like I said, my normal motherly duties of making sure everybody's happy and fed and keeping the house up. Um, trying to keep up with six people by myself is hard. And Blake has a trick, a trick and, uh, you know, she's almost three. Can you also paint a picture? I know she, she's actually just got the broken trach out, which is amazing, you know, but up until this point, um, can you talk about like, what is the care above and beyond that Blake has compared to another, you know, two and a half year old and paint that picture as well? So your normal two and a half year old is going to be running around, getting into everything. Um, and trust me, we want that every day for Blake. Um, but she has her special equipment that she either can sit in or stand in because she can't sit, stand, walk, crawl, any of it. Um, you know, unless she's being, unless she's in her medical equipment, helping her to sit or to stand. Um, she, to get her out of her normal everyday routine is not only difficult on her, but it makes it a very huge stressor for the rest of the family. She's used to being in our living room, working through her uh, therapies, because our nurse will continue daily therapies with her. Um, she'll put her in the gate trainer stander. Um, so going to the hospital with Blake, um, with no nurse, when she had her trach was extremely hard. Um, I would have to pull over on the side of the highway, on the side of just, you know, your normal road. I don't anywhere really to pull over to suction her. And sometimes that could be extremely difficult and of course, extremely dangerous. Or if her food decided to kink, I would have to pull over and figure out where it's kinked at or figure out what's going on with the pump. Um, medications, like I said, if I don't have my alarm set, I don't think she would get her medications because I'm just, I'm everywhere being pulled in four different directions at, every day. So and what is the, you know, not being able to, to work, it sounds like you're very fortunate to have 
Jake, that sounds like he makes some money for the family. Um, because it sounds like you are unable to get a job, what is that pressure does that put on the family? So me not being able to work, we, we live paycheck to paycheck. Um, we have had to ask for help from family members paying bills. Um, we, um, can't, we, we can't get food stamps because, you know, Jacob makes $200 too much for us to be able to be approved for food stamps. So um, there's times like now that we are very, very low on food. Like we have ramen noodles and lunch meat sandwiches. And of course the kids are tired of that. Um, so if I, you know, were able to go out and get a job, we wouldn't necessarily be, I don't know, behind on a lot of things, um, bills, food, the kids could have not only what they need, but also some things that they would want versus me always having to tell them, sorry, we don't have the money for it. And I always hear, well, you never have the money. And I'm like, well, I can't work. I'm sorry. Like I have to be here to help take care of your sister and I have to be here to take care of you guys. And so we both know about this program in Colorado called the family CNA program. And Mm -hmm. it is actually passed in Missouri, though there are people trying to say that it's not, not a viable program. Knowing about this program, what, what would be the benefits to a family like yours, considering, you know, you have 117 hours, you're, you're covering a majority of that care. What, what is this program? What would this program do for your family? Um, it put food on our table. <laughs> uh, it would pay bills. Like, like I was saying, our, um, I'll just throw it out there. Our water bill this month for some odd reason. And I don't know if I've got like a leaking pipe or whatever. It's over $200. Um, we can't afford that. So it's hard telling if it's going to get shut off or if um, we will have somebody that, to help us pay it. Um, we wouldn't always have to look out for handouts. And um, I am not a person that takes that. I hate, I hate asking for handouts. Hate it with a passion. It's not who I've ever been. Um, I hate that I can't work. I miss working. I would love to have a job to help provide for my family. Um, but it's not logical. It's not, I don't know. It's not, it's not in my future because Blake needs me here. I need to be able to help care for her. And someone has to provide that care. And you're authorized by the state of Missouri, 117 hours, which are not being fulfilled. Right. And so on top of just the, the benefits financially and being able to have a job and feeling sounds like it would make you feel good to have that job. um, What would you think would be some of the benefits to, to Blake? Yeah. I guess what would you think some of the benefits would be to Blake? The benefits to Blake is, you know, I don't have to bring another stranger into our home um, to care for her, that I could do it by myself. I'm I'm very capable of taking care of my child. It would be very beneficial. Like like I said, I'm not, I don't like having strangers coming into my home. 
because yes, we've had Skylar for three years, but when she first came in, it was, you know, I'm a very loud, upbeat person and I'm, I talk a lot and she was just this quiet little mouse and never talked. So it was very awkward at first and I finally got her to open up. Um, but like I said, if I didn't have to bring another stranger into my home to do the job that I can do, that would be amazing. So in your state, it seems that there are some people that are opposing the family CNA program. What would you want to say to them? That it's not, it's going to benefit more families than what you know. Um, If we could get a job, we would love to go get a job, but there's just, we can't. Um, It's not, it's not that we don't want to because people like me, I would love to go out and get a job and have that adult conversation other than just Skylar. Trust me, I love Skylar, but, you know, have more adult conversation and a life outside of being a mom um, or dad. Um, we would absolutely love, but in our, in our situations, it's not feasible. It's not, um, it's not a logical Maybe logical is not the word. I don't know. It's just not possible because we have to take care of our child, children. It's not that we want to be a stay-at-home mom and, you know, just get money for, as some say, quote, unquote, sitting on our butts all day. We, we, we have to take care of these kids. What would you, for someone that doesn't have a medically fragile child, what would you want them to know? Um... Well, there's different, people look at it differently. Some of them are, I guess you can say rude and they'll say, yeah, but you wanted to have a child. So you get what you get. Um, yes, I did want a child, but I wanted her to have a normal life. Um, you know, we were not expecting this life. We didn't know about it until it hit us. And, it, and when it hit, it hit hard. Um, I don't, I don't know. I guess you, you don't know the situation until you have to live it. I'm a firm believer of that. If you don't, you know, you, you don't know anybody's situation until you walk a day in their shoes. I really appreciate you spending the time to, to share this with us. Cause that is my intention and our intention here to, to try to paint as much of a picture as we can, because I know that, you know, it's not that you, want the extra help it's that you need the extra help and right in a way you don't need it because you're so resilient and you're doing it but at the same time if someone needs help right now I know that it's you guys what would you want to say to other families like yours to help spread the word about this program and 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 how what you guys can do together to, to help make it happen. Um, share your stories. Uh, we're not alone. There's, you know, there's so many families around you that you probably don't know about that are going through similar things that you are going through. Um, advocate for your children. Of course, I'm sure they, you know, they know that one, uh, that's been drilled in our heads. (laughs) advocate as much as you can um but I'm like I'm a firm believer in 
sharing Blake's story because it's helped so many. I've had so many families reach out to me and, you know, say that they wanted to give up. Um, you can't give up. Your kid needs you. Your children need you. Your family needs you. Uh, just keep pushing. Uh, there's, I'm here for you. <laughs> if you ever want to reach out to me via Facebook or any type of messenger, I'm here. Um, and I know for a fact, there's other families that are willing to talk and open up as well and be a listening ear for you. Thank you so much for your resilience and your power. What are your hopes for the future for kiddos like Blake and families like yours? Well, you know, I hope that they, I hope my child and everybody else's children thrive and prove all the doctors wrong that said they wouldn't be able to do something. I pray that they can and they will. Um, and then for this program, I hope it takes off and can benefit every single one of us because I know we're drowning and I know there's other families that are drowning as well. So with Tough, um, the Unforgotten Families, we want to be a place for community, for families and advocates. And we're just sharing stories and spreading awareness about this program in particular, but really any solutions and ideas. Uh, do you find what we're doing to be valuable? I do. Um, you're out there helping families like mine. Um, you're, you're helping our voices be heard. That's my, that in a nutshell, you are helping us be heard and it's hard to be heard when, I don't know, I guess when you're so little, maybe you're not, you're not out there as much. Thank you. Thank you for, mm -hmm. thank you for it's, it, it takes both of us to make this happen. And so I really appreciate you being brave and, and, and sharing your story with us. So thank you. I guess the last thing I'll ask is just, is there anything else that's on your heart that you want to share? Just, it's a, it's a open space to just share whatever feel feels aligned for you to share right now. Mm, the only other thing is, like I said, don't give up on your child. Um, I've had my very low moments of wanting to give up and then Blake proves everybody wrong or I feel like every doctor's appointment I go to they you know they hit you with things that you know are there but they want you to remember hey your child has cerebral palsy or hey your child has this going on yeah I know or hey we don't know that Blake will ever do this and then it takes time but don't give up keep pushing keep advocating never give up Thank you once again for tuning into the Unforgotten Families podcast. These families need your support and it only takes a minute to become an advocate on our website, www.theunforgottenfamilies.com. Please click on the Become an Advocate link on the upper right-hand corner of the website and we will inform you when it's time to take action in your state. We appreciate you listening and we would love if you would share this episode with your friends and family. Thank you so much.